0: Hello, and welcome to this very special series of the CEO.Digital show. My name is Todd Jordan, and I'm going to be attempting to fill the ample shoes of Mr. Craig McCartney, as we divert from the usual conversations you might hear on this show in favor of a deeper dive into a single weighty topic, responsible AI. Anyone who's interested in technology these days already knows all about AI, or at least they think they do. The more that we've listened over the last few months as the AI wave has crested, the more we noticed a substantial gap in the conversation, the crucial question of responsibility. We love AI for all that it can do and understand that the people who create meaningful change in the world must do so from a place of passionate optimism. But there's a difference between enthusiastically forging ahead and blindly running off a cliff. That's why we want to shine a light on how and why we should be using AI responsibly to lay the groundwork for a more stable foundation. This is the first episode of a multi-part limited series. Each time we'll be sitting down with a different expert for their own personal perspective on responsible AI, what it means, why it's so important, and how you can put it into practice. Today's guest is Toju Duke, advisor on Responsible AI author of the book Building Responsible AI Algorithms and founder of community interest organization Diverse AI, which is dedicated to supporting and championing underrepresented groups for a more inclusive AI future. Like us, Toji believes that AI has a lot to offer both business leaders and society as a whole, but she has a unique perspective on the perils and harms it could pose to many, particularly those from underrepresented communities can't think of a more fitting guest to kick off this podcast series on the rich topic of Responsible AI. And so, Toju Duke, welcome to the CEO.Digital Show. Thank you, Ted. Happy to be here. And happy to have you here. Um, So I guess we should start at the very, very beginning. We're here to talk about Responsible AI. What do you mean when you talk about Responsible AI?
1: Yeah, I think simply put, it's just basically developing and deploying AI in a responsible manner where it has minimal to zero harms on society.
0: Mm. Yeah. uh, Can you give us any examples of the kinds of harm that can be caused when these tools aren't deployed in a responsible manner?
1: Yeah, we have a few range of them, um, starting with like forging inequality against different genders and different minority groups. Um, We have privacy violations, we have human rights violations, um, we have cases where people have lost their lives due to um, misleading of chatbots, and that's basically something that borders on online safety and psychological safety. So there are lots of detrimental effects it can have. And I can give a few a few real real life examples, right? Um, a very recent one, and I spoke on the BBC about it a co- couple of weeks ago, was um, Amazon's Alexa not being able to recognise that there was a women's match going on. And um, someone asked to say, you know, give me some details on the World Cup finals, and it's like, there's no match. <laughs> <laughs> in other words, it doesn't even recognize female football as as football, right? Um, and it's, it's a bit of a shame. And I keep on banging on this one because it's just a bit really, it's a bit annoying for me. Um, because Amazon five years ago had a hiring tool which they deprecated because of something very similar. It had it had gender bias in there. It. it was favoring male CVs over female CVs because data sets it was built on was more was more representative of male of of, of male universities and colleges so you could only recognize the keywords of these certain colleges and anytime a a college came up from from the female side of things they couldn't recognize it dropped it and this tool was used for like three years now we could gloss over it right but when you when you put yourselves in the shoes of these women we don't know what their backgrounds were, but whoever these users of this tool were, you know, imagine if it was a woman who just came back from maternity leave, and people like that have gone through it too. You struggle, struggle getting back into work, struggle with your confidence, struggle. It's like two different worlds have gone through a major life event of having a child, and then now you have to get back into work and get back into a career. It's really hard. Let's imagine one of those users was was a woman like that and then probably very experienced very good at her job and she's just not getting any interviews you'll start wondering you know what's wrong with me and it can affect people's confidence it could have affected their career um, trajectory it could have it could affect so many other things beyond what we, we know about and beyond what we see on the inside right the the psychological aspects of these things and the mental aspects so that's one example um the one i mentioned about people um loss of lives it's a very recent one as well a couple of months ago it was all over the news. A man in Belgium um, took his own life because a chatbot told him to, and that if he does it, he'll be able to save the world from climate change. Um, and he believed it And you know, reading the story, he had been chatting with this chatbot for six weeks—only six weeks. Of course, there he probably had some mental health issues going on, right? He couldn't have just been um, totally okay. But you know, it's it's very scary because if he was made aware, first of all, that. AI hallucinates um, or lies and doesn't say factual things, and is actually not human. I think he knew it wasn't human, but the further you, you you interact with technology, it doesn't have to be an AI, right? Even on social media, you tell, as human beings, we're social animals. We tend to have, you know, some form of attachments to to whatever we're interacting uh, interacting with, whether it's a human, a pet. Whatever it is, right? And I think that's what happened is you know he grew this sentimental attachment to it and just kept on wanting to chat chat with it. And it's totally understandable, especially you know when you're chatting with AI, it's not going to tell you shut up, you say nonsense, you know, it's not going to argue back at you, right? It's gonna, it's actually going to tell you what you want to hear. And if it's saying something that you don't want to hear, it changes its tune, right? It's always trying to say you and make you feel okay. And you know they're always very polite. And I'm so sorry. I mean. Some of them, right? We have the ones that are meant to be very impolite and totally rude and they actually do their job very very well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, in, in this case, this, this young fella grew a very sentimental attachment to this thing. Probably after work, he just can't wait to chat with his new his new AI friends, right? And that that again begs around on on the ethical values of these things. Um, should should the owners of these different um, chatbots should they have a time limit on how much time people should interact with it? It's just very similar to parents who have kids and you always want to like limit their screen time. Or if they have an iPad, you have like the child lock screen and the parental guide um, access and rules and all of that. It's like, do we as humans need that? And then it goes back to the AI literacy as well. You know, if you're totally literate on the pros and cons of the different AI systems that we interact with every day, then you should be able to be aware that these things could actually cause harm and have some form of, you know, Guard against it, right? And some form of limitations that we could put on ourselves. So these are some examples, right? Um, of course, on the flip side, AI is highly beneficial. I'm still a number one AI advocate. You know, I really believe AI should be here. Um, do I agree with the pace that it's going? Probably not. But at the same time, it's kind of slowed down anyway. That's the thing. Is like it's, it will have a, an, it will usually have a sudden strong fast rapid pace and then you know we had the ai arms race that happened last year And after that there's only so much we can build within a year right there's only so much capability new capabilities that we can build in these things it takes time it takes time to do the research to test it out and then to launch it um so right now i am you know i'm not worried about the pace anymore um i really wasn't worried about the pace before i was really just on the sidelines watching but hopefully that answered your question
0: yeah, I mean, there's a, there's an incredible amount of of um, stuff to unpick there, uh, including some of those tragic stories, um, but also uh, comments on on the pace and um, the guardrails or, or the lack thereof. I think so many people have just been shocked by how quickly uh, the sort of ramifications of this technology are starting to make themselves uh, appear. Um, you know, I I always knew this. Some of what is happening now, I always knew it was going to be possible in my lifetime i think i thought it would be maybe 20 years down the road i didn't realize it would be now um so i was wondering could you suggest any maybe some basic ground rules that you think should be put in place to prevent some of those more tragic cases happening in future um i suppose ground rules for both um governing bodies or 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 governments but also for any of our listeners within their own organizations who who are wanting to be responsible with their use of ai
1: yeah yeah I, I dug into into that in a lot of detail in my book um, and I'll just cover some of it now but you know the different um fields in, in responsible AI right and responsible AI is basically just talking about the implementation of some form of responsibility in in the ml models that are being developed um so you know the example I gave on Alexa um, and Amazon's hiring tool that borders on, on a field called fairness where basically what it says is whatever output and whatever results any AI machine gives, it has to be fair to every member of society, every subclass and every group. And we have some groups that are called... um, that that class with protected attributes or protected characteristics by law, which basically means there are certain people, you know, in society, like people who identify as LGBTQ+, or women, or children, you know, different people from minority and underrepresented groups normally should be treated fairly in whatever results come out. So if it's financial institutions and everything like that. So that's a standard law in the world, in society, um, which organizations try to, you know, address. With AI, though, sometimes, you know, it circumvents this, right? Um, so we have issues with, with finance as well where um, people are not treated equally and you can apply for a mortgage and depending on what racial descent you are from, you know, it, it will affect the type of mortgage you get um, and or your gender. So if there was another example Apple Card and you have a couple who's earning the same the same salary, have the same credit score um, and when they apply for credits, the woman got less than the man, um, even if everything was the same. So these sort of biases happen. And in in responsible AI, fairness is one way of addressing it. So the different definitions of fairness, depending on the use case, there are about 21 different ones. Um, and people can test their models for fairness, depending on the use case. So you take a sample set of the population and the data set and test it for fairness metrics, right? We want to make sure that the results are going to be deployed will be to different people in society, especially the demographics that that um, application will target. Um, so that's one example. Then we have something around data ethics and responsible data, which talks about like your curation methods, how, how is data being curated. Is it in a responsible manner? Do do people even know that the data is being taken? Is it against their consent? Are they privy to it? Where is data being stored? Who has access to the data? Do you need the amount of data that you're actually going to use for that ML model or could you use less data? Are the data sets actually transparent? Do we know what sort of data is in it? inclusive and diverse data. Is that included in the data set? Is it representative of all different cultures in society and all different people? Especially many times, you know, when you launch a product, you want to export it to the rest of the world. So it has to be useful and conducive and not harmful to everyone, you know, if you're going to launch it out to the rest of the world. And we think about privacy as well, you know, are there going to be any data leakages? Um, Are people's data Really held private in a private, in a private way in a private cloud. So there are some privacy methods, and um, ML privacy methods are kind of like anonymize the data, and you know just add some random noise so that no one will know that Todd's data is actually in this data set. Right, it cannot identify you as a person. Um, Another example is robustness. So, you know, we always know that there's adversarial attacks against ML models. I mean, we have hackers across the world, regardless of if it's AI or not. And people, of course, will try to, to hack an AI system for different reasons, especially to get data of people and sell it off. And, you know, the question around making sure your models are robust enough to withstand any form of adversarial attacks is very important, right? It has to be built in a way that, you know, any form of adversarial attacks will not easily happen to perpetrate the model. Um, and there are a few, few other examples as well. I can go on all day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I bet you could. Um, it's all fascinating. Um, you you mentioned the, um, the threat from sort of bad actors uh, getting involved in, and, and trying to leech off of that data. I was also wondering... Um, the last few years, especially around the uh, US election cycle, um, there was a lot of talk about um, disinformation or, uh, or, or fake news being disseminated on social media. Is there at all a concern that some, a bad actor might deliberately train a, a, an AI tool on false information in order to kind of erode the level of trust? Is that something that could even happen?
1: It can happen if the bad actor is... Um experienced enough and knowledgeable enough to do it. Um, but what I've seen, I read an article on, on bad actors recently, and reading the article, it seems most of the bad actors are not that knowledgeable yet. I mean, someone can sit down and train themselves and they'll be very good at it. But they're building on what's already there. Um, so, like, on the data from ChatGPT, they they're built on it to, to create something that could hack into other people's computer and, and set some malware. Um, So... I don't even think they need to build their own data sets and false information. All they just need to do is just, you know, manipulate the information that is out there and come up with a new data set on top of an existing data set that is full of this information. If they want to go to that extent, but even they don't need to go to that extent, like with the current um, data sets applications available today, they can do whatever they want to do with it.
0: Wow, um, I'm very curious to see what happens in the coming years. Um, I suppose on the more positive end of things, one of one, something that I'm super interested in is um, how AI and humans uh, work together for um, you know to be more productive. Um, so is it possible for AI to have wild flashes of inspiration and, and kind of combine pieces of knowledge into something new, or is that purely our job from now on?
1: Well, that's what the AI does right now, right? It's like, I mean, I'm not going to say they have wild sources of inspiration, the flashes of inspiration, definitely not because they're not human. But at the same time, they're able to gather different pieces of information and then predict the next word in the sequence and kind of, like, come up with a solution. So I can give you a good example. Like, I've stayed away from ChatGPT for a long time. I, I've, I've dabbled into it. You know, working in the field, you just hear the hype, and I'm just like, yeah, a couple of buttons. And then I was at Google as well. We had Bard. But I kind of, like, stay away from them. I let them, like, build and improve first because I get, I could get irritated very easily with technology that doesn't work for me. So I don't want a situation where I'm using it and it's not working and then I'm punching my computer. No, I'm not violent, but, you know, I'm just swearing and all that. So anyway, I decided to use ChatGPT because I was chatting with someone and they said, you know, they tend to use it for, like, um, titles or exactly. Most of them are marketers. And I was like, I'm always struggling with the title for my talk, always struggling. And you just, I just went on ChatGPT and it just gives me so many good titles that I can tweak. Like, you'll give me one and I'll be like, can you give me more? And I'm like, just give me like, yeah, sure. And Ten different ones. That makes sense. And I just pick one out and I tweak it a little bit and that's it. I'm done. It's made my life easier. And that's just one thing I use it for, right? So it does help with productivity. You know, you speak with marketers and they say how they can just get blog posts out within a few seconds and they don't need to start, you know, breaking their head, trying to think about what to write, which takes a long time. Um, so that's one example. I think when it comes to fact finding, that's where the problem lies, right? So I think it's okay to ask it to generate something, right? Some form of suggestions or give you some form of inspiration. Like when I was thinking of of giving a, a one of my uh, company a name, I was like, give me names of a you know responsible AI company, and it came came up with stuff. But when I'm asking, okay, I'm like can you tell me how many reviews my book has? I mean, the book was just, just launched. It was just out a few, a few days ago. So I know it doesn't have that. And it's like, I can't because I do not have that data. My data has been built to 2021. Now I'm using the chat with GPT 3.5, which is the older version. I'm not using the paid one. Of course, cheapskate. I'm like, I'm not going to pay you for that. Oh, no, <laughs> I don't need to use that yet. But yeah. So, you know, um, When it comes to fact-finding, we know that it has issues with fact-finding. So the problem with it is, is, you know, I could have just gotten so excited about ChatGPT. Hey, it's helping with my top titles. And then, can you give me some more information about what Alan Turing did in 1956? And then I add that to my talks, and that's when I can be in deep trouble, because it can just come up with all sorts of infactual information, and I wouldn't fact-check it. And then I'll put it out there. I don't know if you heard about the lawyer in New York who actually used um, ChatGPT to build a lot of cases, and they were all incorrect, and now he's facing sanctions, and he he might lose his license.
0: Because oh my goodness!
1: It's terrible. It, it's a, it's a terrible and a bit a bit funny because you're, you're thinking, didn't he know? But maybe he didn't know, right? And again, it goes back to the AI literacy. If people are aware of the, the pros and cons of everything that they use when it comes to AI, then, you know, they can be aware of where they, where they need to actually put their humanity back into it, right? And not just sit down and let it, let it do everything for you, which which happened. And, you know, I've, I've said this story to a few other people and we've talked about it, and people are like, but he was being lazy, he's a lawyer. I'm like, "Why? I, I can't blame him, though. Like, you know, being a lawyer, there's so much, tons of information you have to read on so many cases you have to put up and of course if you find a tool that will make it easier for you why not that's the whole point of having it right it's really to aid productivity and reduce the number of hours we do autonomous and manual tasks and it does Mm. that
0: be honest did you uh are any chapters from your book written by chat gpt
1: i wish i could say yes Of course not. Um, No, of course. Well, you you will know anyway once you read it. You can easily tell the language. It just sounds a bit too robotic and not humane and, you know, sometimes it's nonsense all put together.
0: I was talking to um someone last night who works in HR, and they were um bemoaning the fact that they're now every time they put up a job listing, they're just bombarded with CVs that were clearly written by uh, ChatGPT because they all are exactly the same wording with the same sort of brackets around everything. Um, it's crazy. So exactly as you said, I think people just need a bit more of a conscious relationship with the outputs from these tools. Um. I remember there was some possibly apocryphal story uh, of an experiment that happened years ago about uh, chess and whether or not a computer is better at chess than a human. And uh, what they found is that um, a computer is slightly better at chess than a human. But what's even better than that is a human working with a computer, looking at what the computer suggests the next move should be and then very occasionally deciding when to overrule that and do something unpredictable. And I feel like that's where we need to get to now as well, right? A bit more of a collaboration between us and the machine.
1: hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think, I think that's where we need to like make sure the, 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 the playing field is, is quite clear, right? It's like we'll work hand in hand with those AI systems that will be embedded in something. We're not talking of AGI now where we're saying it's going to be a full robot. We might get there someday, we might not. Who knows Um, but at this stage we need to just be aware that these things are just tools to help us in different ways and you know one of the things that got me really interested in ai is is because it could solve it has a propensity and it is doing that to solve the world's top challenges today right from from finding um um, solutions and cures to scans cancer drug discovery, to help it with climate change and, and all of that, right? And it is doing that. People are working on it. So the whole, the whole aim and the whole important thing to know is that AI is a tool to help humans and it's not meant to take over humans. And at this stage, there no, there's no evidence whatsoever that it can do that. Um, and... I don't think it will happen in the future. But of course, we we have to make sure that we're in charge, we're in control. We are the ones building these systems. If we see any emergent um, properties, which basically just means that these things are coming up with capabilities that they were not taught because they're being intelligent, right? They're feeding on data. So at the end of the day, based on the type of ML technology or technique that was used to build them, sometimes if it's reinforcement learning, you know, reinforcement is like they're giving them, um, treats if they if they pass the test. So because of that, they know how to to make sure that they get a treat right, and they kind of like learn around it, which makes it sound a bit more human and humane. But again, they're just machines. They're just intelligent machines, and that's why it's called artificial intelligence. You know, they have some form of intelligence, but it's not human reasoning or capabilities. But it's still something. So assuming we get to a stage where they keep on showing these emergent properties, right? Even as humans, we're still we're still in the driving seat here we should never get to a stage where we say hey they're out of our control if we've done if we if it ever gets there then we've we'll messed up full- time not just to us not just to our generation but to the future to future generations
0: mm. yeah I, I completely agree that 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 would sound quite frightening um I suppose a lot of the uh, shortfalls of this kind of technology at the moment are purely coming from the way it reflects some of our own failings uh you know that AI can be biased because the people that build it is are, are sometimes biased that's human nature, unfortunately, sometimes. As, as um, these more responsible frameworks get developed and put in place over time, and we find ways to understand those failings and hopefully remove them from the system, do you foresee that AI could potentially help us as humans to become less biased by pointing out those issues for us and telling us when we're making those kinds of mistakes?
1: Exactly. And, and you have a few research scientists and professors actually say that AI could reduce bias in society. Um, um because they're not biased. They're not you know, I don't want to say they're not born biased, but you know, <laughs> they're not built, they're not, they don't come out biased. This is just based on the data that they're fed, right? And the results are biased. Um and if they're able to come up with um um non-biased results, right, they can influence society again. And there's actually a recent study um by some um scientists in uh, I think Cornell University in the US where they talk about latent persuasion and basically what it means is some form of bias that happens when you keep on chatting with with AI, right? Again, back to this guy who took his life. You keep on chatting with it, whatever it tells you, you know, that's what you're going to listen to. And there was lots of talk recently about, you know, ChatGPT being leftist and concerns about, you know, the political bias that can be embedded in these things because there's some form of subtle um, bias and persuasion, and you can change your, your your thoughts and you know your reasoning towards a certain people or a certain angle or a certain topic based on chatting with these things. So, assuming on the flip side, right, it's able to we're able to build them where you know they have less bias. You can never have an AI system that is one hundred percent bias free. That's not possible, but at least the the bias is really reduced to the most minimal stage that it can be. At um, and you're chatting with it. In in other words, the results that it comes up with. Um, and I'm just talking about chatbots now, as so NLP, natural language Pro- programming. Um, but the results that it comes up with could influence your way of thinking to be less biased, right? Now, when we want to think about um, computer vision, and uh, you want to think about the text-to-image kind of outputs, like mid-journey Stability AI, again, they're biased, right? You do search for for maybe a man in Africa, and you just see all sorts of gory horrible images and then you do a search for a man in somewhere else or even a ceo and that happens in google image search as well and it just comes up with very um westernized um images you know and then you have the blue eyes the blonde face and anything blonde hair sorry blonde face and anything that doesn't, <laughs> and that doesn't work there you know it, it's just it's stereotypes there's lots of stereotypes in, in the results and again that's perpetrating harmful biases and representational harms. Now, On the flip side, if we're able to solve that problem, then that means when people use these tools, the results that they see will be more representative and in favour of everyone in society. And that should hopefully influence and reduce the biases that exist in humans today.
0: I hope so. Yes, uh, absolutely. There's been so many examples of that, exactly that kind of thing you talked about in Google image and, and the biases there. And also with Mid Journey as well. I know there was an issue recently to do with autism, where uh, I, I believe Mid Journey was, would only ever show autistic people looking sad mm-hmm. when given a prompt to show an autistic person. Um, it's terrible. Uh, but at, at least, you know, I, I'm heartened by the fact that there are these conversations happening, at least. And, you know, we're we're spotting it when we see it, or at least some of us are. Um, which leads me to uh, your work with Diverse AI, your new startup. Um, how has the launch been, and and what what have you been up to? Tell me all about it.
1: Yeah, it's um, we started in March. I think we did launch in June. Um, we built it on a like a three pronged approach. Um, so we want to champion people, we want to collaborate, and we want to create stuff. So we have different programs um, that we run. We run free educational activities. We run events. Um, and um, we want to, like, build a build and foster a diverse community in AI, right? So support the people already working in the field and then attract more talent into the field to address some of these issues we're talking about, right? Because one of the issues um, with AI is we've talked about the buyers, we've talked about the privacy and everything else, but at the end of the day, it goes back to who's building these systems. And, you know, there's lots of unconscious buyers, like we said, um, and... Of course, you're going to build build stuff based on your lived experiences, and based on your experience, where you live, where you're from, your societal context, and and and, and the culture, your traditions, and blah blah blah. Um, so we need more representation of different people in the world, and if we have. A good representation of different people in the world, building the systems in the same room together. And I'm pretty sure these this, this issues we're talking about today will not be existent anymore because everyone will think about their own personal experience, their lived experience, the people that they know that look like them, talk like them, believe in what they believe in. And then we'll have systems that are more representative and less harmful. Um, so that's that's the whole idea behind diverse AI. Um We've, we've launched a few free educational courses on our website. We're planning to do um, a literacy, an AI literacy week with um, a few schools across London and Birmingham um, that come from, like you know, poor socioeconomic statuses and even in poor neighbourhoods who will probably never get to hear about AI until they've probably finished university or college or don't even get in, and we just want to at least introduce AI to them, AI for good, what AI does, and, and responsible for AI as well. Um, and we have volunteers that are ready to do that. Um, we're also planning to host some form of monthly webinar series on AI, where we just have members of the community and other people just talk about what they do. We can have fireside chats, we can have in-depth trainings, or we can just have panel discussions. Again, just to engage our community and just drive further knowledge and education and awareness on the topic
0: sounds like great work absolutely fantastic and really really excited for you to have launched that um, I'm glad it's going well um so besides checking out some of those webinars and besides uh, reading your your excellent book uh, building responsible AI algorithms um, is what else can business leaders do do uh, if they're maybe listening to to this conversation that we're having, and they're thinking, "Do you know what? O- okay, I need to educate myself a bit more. I need to take some steps to protect my business from irresponsible AI, protect my staff, protect my community. What should people do? Where can they begin?"
1: um So I think I think you said you said the first thing is educating yourself, right? So it's like you know, um, paying attention to personal LinkedIn, you can look for responsible AI, AI ethicists to like, you know, follow or connect with on LinkedIn on Twitter and see what posts they come up with. Because there's lots of information out there, lots of policies in place, and lots of um, new research papers that are being launched that talk about these things. I think beyond that, I think the next step is just thinking about AI in a responsible manner, coming up with AI principles. I think that's always the first thing. It borders on AI governance. You know, you want to say that if I'm going to develop any AI systems in my organisation, these are the sets of things that they can do, and these are the things I absolutely would not do, like, you know, use it to, like... Um, um, build any weapons of mass destruction or nuclear weapons. You know we don't want it to reinforce any societal biases. We don't want it to to leak any anybody's data. So it has to be really, really and um, privacy um, um, built and conscious and things like that. So you have to decide what you 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 want the AI applications in your organization to do versus what you absolutely wouldn't do. And um, then you want to kind of like build an AI team, an AI governance team around it. Um, and then depending on what the organization does, of course you can have a research team on responsible AI, ethical AI that will keep on unearthing, unearthing new things and discovering new things. And um, that tends to happen with big tech because they can afford to have this big, big, massive teams. Um, but whatever it is, I think, you know, it's really important, depending on the use case that that application is built for, like if it's computer vision, if it's meant to be for healthcare or, you know, surveillance, um, which is very tricky or just um, business applications, whatever the use case is, it's important to educate yourself on the harms for that particular domain in AI what potential harms exist and then work towards a responsible AI framework that addresses those harms before launching these products. And then even when you want to launch, it's best to launch it in a phased approach. So rather than just, you know, doing your your test on like 5% of the sample data set and just launching it out to the world, you can launch it out in phases, right? To launch it out to a form of tested users, for example, um, and then get their feedback on board, and then you can, you can have like an alpha or beta phase before you do your full launch. Um, get the feedback, fine tune the model, improve it based on the feedback, and launch it to a wider set of users. And until you're very happy that you know this this product is actually going to be less harmful to people, to your users and to your consumers, and it's going to be. Profitable because you know if it's less harmful and if it's working as it should, then it's going to be more profitable because you have more users and have less complaints and less reputational risks out there. And the likelihood of regulation coming knocking down your door is going to be quite small as well. So you want to be sure that the product is ready, the product readiness before launching it out to the world. But in, in the first place, you just have to take it in little steps and make sure that you're fully aware of what needs to be done.
0: Sounds like great advice to me. Um, you know, less harm, more profit. Who wouldn't want that? You make a very compelling case. Um, we're nearing the end of our time, sadly told you. I'm, I'm really enjoying this chat. I was just wondering, is there anything that's, that's happening with AI that hasn't yet hit the mainstream attention? Anything that pe- people outside of your field of expertise we might not know about yet? Is there anything that's getting you really excited
1: yeah, there's um, there's something I want to write about. Not another book, not yet, but um, <laughs> you know, it's it's called um, human value AI alignment. So there's lots of talk within the field about building AI. Um, based on some form of alignment techniques that will re- reflect human values. And in other words, these issues we're talking about today, the AI will be programmed and built on human values so it shouldn't have the kind of harms that is exhibiting to today. So there's talk around it and people are testing it out. Of course, there's going to be arguments about, you know, what what human values are we going to agree upon? But I think there's some basic rules we can have, right, in terms of just to not pre- be, be kind, be helpful, you know, do not perpetrate any form of harm or terrible language, toxic content, things like that. Um, And how how do we make sure that the AI sticks to to these policies that are built in it because with, with generative AI it's, they're, they're like wild kids it's hard to rein them in right? you can build them based on policies and they can come up with something totally different <laughs> at the end of the day so it's just making sure that AI governance is in place um, in a, in a good way um, in a right way I've heard about people doing AI governance or using AI governance with AI agents themselves so it's not just human it's not just human imputed but the AI agents are able to govern the AI system and make sure that it's actually adhering to policies. So um, there are lots of things that can be done, but those are the kind of things we're thinking about. And then there's lots of excitement about autonomous agents. It's just like a world of little AI machines programming themselves and working on themselves and fine-tuning themselves and just doing everything without a lot of human input. Um, It's exciting for some. Um, We don't know where it's going to lead to, but yeah, we keep on pushing a lot of boundaries in the field.
0: Wow. Uh, Yeah, that sounds simultaneously exciting and absolutely terrifying. The idea of these autonomous agents that are improving themselves and creating things that we might not understand for years. Um, Last question, I suppose. Um, 10 years from now, what what are we going to be talking about then? What's going to have changed?
1: I just think it will be it will be um further breakthroughs in the same field right so like what happened with chat gpt is we just suddenly had a large language model that was able to predict the next sequence of words and did not sound like a total idiot like a total robot because in the past it was so clear that you could not chat with these things but now people can have proper conversations with them so we're able to 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 go into the next phase in nlp with ChatGPT, we have the likes of the the, diffu- the the stable diffusion models, right, where we have, you know, people putting in a text prompt and it comes up with a realistic filter image. Um, what we're going to see is furtherance of that. So we already have, like, in GPT-4 that is able to, to do text, image, and video, right? We're having people trying to work on having one system to be able to work with text, video, audio, and an and, and image. Now, if we're able to have all of that, all of those capabilities in one system working with you, then of course it's going to drive productivity and all that. And it might lead towards AGI, towards this dream of having one system that can do everything that you want. So I think in the field, everyone is trying to push the boundaries, the capabilities of these things, seeing what next can happen. But one major thing that people are looking towards is just building one system that can do literally everything. Right? It doesn't have to be in a human-like form, right? But it's just having. you heard I don't know if you've heard of Microsoft Copilot, but you know it's something similar. It's almost like similar to the Clippy assistant, but it's able to bring in all the different data across all the different Microsoft products that clients are using and come up with something. So that's that's where it's all headed. It's like just bring everything together in one system, as opposed to having it disjointed across different things. So probably in the next ten years—I I mean, you can't predict it, right? I didn't know GPT four would cause all of this last year. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we just had Chat GPT, and next they were hearing Llama and Bard, and you know there was just this sudden AI arms race. But I'm pretty sure in the next ten years we would at least have one system that can do as many things, as many different capabilities that it couldn't do before.
0: Wow, um, I'm certain that you're right. And I'm also certain there'll be other surprises that we cannot possibly predict. Um, thank you so much, Toji. Is there uh, anything that you'd like to add? Where, where can people find you online if they want to learn more?
1: Um, simple Toju Duke. I'm not the only Toju Duke in the whole wide world. <laughs> I don't <laughs> have an imposter or a deep fake. Um, but yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. I've got my website there. The book is literally everywhere um i think people should read the book even if they're not very tech savvy i think it just it just um, educates people on the different potentials and harms of ai and uh, it has its own technical bits but that we can leave that for the ml folks to pick up
0: Fantastic. Yes. So that is a reminder for every, everybody to please, please go and check out Building Responsible AI Algorithms by Toju Duke, as well as um, reading more into the work that you're doing with uh, diverse AI. So thank you very, very much, Toju. I've really, really enjoyed our conversation today. Thanks,
1: Todd.
0: It was great chatting with you as well. Thanks again to Toju Duke for helping us scratch the surface of responsible AI. And thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed this first episode in our Responsible AI series, please make sure you like and subscribe on wherever you get your podcasts and watch out for the next episode coming your way very soon. In the meantime, you can also visit CEO.digital for articles and more on Responsible AI and throughout our back catalogue. Until next time, thanks for listening.